0: around Christmas last year I was on the phone with the mother of one of our first-year students and I was asking the mother how her daughter was doing adapting to IU and the mother was very pleased. The mother was very pleased because her daughter had been one of the reasons, one of the main reasons in fact, was her daughter had been very actively involved in political organizing in high school and had come to IU and because of her classes and a group that she was a part of was Immersed constantly in groups and in relationships with people on the opposite side of the political spectrum This mother was very pleased because she had seen growth and real maturation in her daughter That her daughter who holds very different beliefs and ideas about politics from a lot of her friends and partners in her groups was learning to understand their motives and understand why they believe what they do and appreciate them more Well, this mother shared with me that she was kind of sad because her daughter, when her daughter had come home for the semester, had gotten together with some of her high school friends. And one of her high school friends viciously mocked her for being friends with those people. That to be be true to who you truly are and what you believe, you can't have anything to do with them. The mother talked about how she and her daughter were trying to make sense of this and it was very confusing to them. Friends, this is the world in which we live. This is the world in which we live. That the people who think differently than us, believe differently, act differently, they're not just the other side. They're not just different anymore. They're fueled by negative desires, right? They are wicked in everything that they do. It's not just that they're confused They're truly led by animus and spite. Sadly, this affects so many areas of our life. I would love to say that the church is beyond this, but this is very much a part of our experience of the church as well, very much alive within the members of the church. Frankly, it's just seemingly as alive in the church as it is outside of the church, which is a real condemnation of where we are personally. In the Gospel today, in one of the most beautiful Gospels that we have, or parables that we have, Jesus commands us to be different. We can think here Jesus is inviting us to just be a little nicer to the other side. No, He is commanding us. He is commanding us that when we see other people who we dislike, who are hurting, people who are just different from us, we are required to love them to serve them, to help them. This gospel is is incredibly rich. One of the great uh, sections of the Catena Aria, St. Thomas Aquinas' collections of the commentaries of the church fathers on the gospels, one of my favorite sections is this parable of the Good Samaritan, because the church fathers run wild with it. They see so many images and allegories being played out in this gospel. I'm not going to bore you with all of them, but it's also just a sidebar reminder that we have to immerse ourselves again and again in Scripture because it's a treasure trove. Because it's calling us again and again to new ways of encountering, as St. Paul told us in that second reading from the letter to the Colossians, the image of the living God, which is Jesus Christ, which is Jesus Christ in His Word and Jesus Christ in His church and in His sacraments. But friends, we are called, and we are called Boldly, by the Lord today to be that good Samaritan in the world. And this takes on many forms. It's not just political dialogue or religious dialogue. This means serving those who are in need and serving from our need. Serving sacrificially. A good Samaritan gives from what he has to to the innkeeper to help this man. are kind of, in a sense, three takeaways that we have. And the first is this, we have to be other-oriented. We have to, and not just be other-oriented, we have to be looking out for those who have been cast aside by society or the church. We have to be looking out for those who are wounded and are hurting. We have to love those who hate us or who we would turn the other way from in normal circumstances. The law of charity calls us to more. This means that those people who have different politics than we do, we need to love them. And what does this look like? If there is not a single person in your life who is a dear friend and confidant, who has different political views from you, you're not living the gospel. If there are people in your life who don't have different sexual orientations or identities, if there are people in your life, if there's no people in your life, who don't have different careers or different worldviews or different religions, you're not living what the gospel is calling you to which is to bring Jesus to the world, and especially to those people. They're not projects. They're just simply human beings who desire, who demand to be loved. And we are Christ. Jesus has made us the Holy Spirit's temple through baptism so that we can bring the good news of Jesus to everyone. So that we can bring the wine and the oil, the healing wine and oil of the Good Samaritan, which is love, which is mercy, to a world that is so desperately in need of it. That's the second piece that goes along with this. We're not just called to be nice to other people, but we're called to bring healing. And we're called to bring the love of Jesus. To invite them to understand and to receive the gifts that we offer them. They are free to choose whatever they want. In some of our relationships, it may take a decade or more to get the person from point A to point B. And that's fine. That's the love. That's the gratuitous, grandiose love we are called to offer. Yes, we would love for them to be at Q, but we love them enough to just walk with them at their pace. To bring the healing, to bring the love, to bring the mercy that comes only from God. And the third thing that we're called to do is to invite and incorporate our brothers and sisters into this relationship. I think so often it's easy for me to think I'm going to be the savior of the world. Just last night I was talking with one of our former students who's now a focus missionary, and she was asking me, Father, are you sad that you're not as involved with all of the students as you were when you first got here? Because when I first got here, I was the only one working full-time in campus ministry. Now we have a lot more people. Thanks be to God for that. But it means for me, I'm not as deeply involved in the lives of all those students. And I said, yeah, in one way, there's a sadness, because I love being involved in multiple people's lives. But there's also a great joy, because I can't give to all of these students and all of these parishioners an equal portion. If I did, I'd be divided into a million pieces, and I'd be a wreck. A much greater wreck than I already am. But because we have the church, because we can invite other people, when we encounter others, it's not just me, it's all of us. And when we get to that point where we realize I can't give everything to this person, we invite the innkeepers. We invite our brothers and sisters to be a part of this also. We build relationships that cross over into... It becomes like this cool, awesome spider's web of interconnecting relationships and points. This is the beauty of our faith. That it always leads to something new, something creative. It always is productive and fruitful. (coughs) So as disciples of Jesus, we are called to be like that good Samaritan. To go out to those on the margins, those who are hurting, to bring the healing balm and salve that comes from the Lord and to invite other people to be a part of that with us. But we're not just called to that. What happens oftentimes is if we think we're just called to engage the other, we become just simply activists, social, political, philosophical, religious activists. But the power of this gospel is that it's not just go and serve. We hit the first part, this inextricable link in Jesus Christ between the love of God and love of neighbor. We are not only called to be the good Samaritan, but we are the beaten and bloodied person along the side of the road. We are desperately in need of a return to the Father, a return to the Lord. In that first reading from Deuteronomy, <coughs> If only you would heed the voice of the Lord your God and keep his commandments and statutes when you return to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. We are called to be followers. We are called to be renewed and remade and converted by the grace of God, by following his will, his teaching, and his commandments. We need to be healed too. And this is the power of our faith and our church is that it's people who are all on different places of being healed, walking together with each other and healing each other. We need to be healed and heal others. How is that possible, the grace that comes from God? This is why as, as Catholics, as disciples of Jesus, we have to go to confession regularly. Why? We need to be healed. We need the grace of God. We need to be renewed, converted, and restored by the mercy of God so that we can be the mercy of God for others. When we aren't coming again and again and again in prayer and in the sacraments to the wellspring of grace, we end up becoming an ideologue or just a worker. When what Jesus wants is our hearts. He doesn't want the results. He wants you and me. And he comes to us, broken, bloodied, confused, hurting, along the side of the road. And who is it that comes, again, going back to that beautiful second reading from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, who is this Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, For in him were created all things in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. The creator of the universe loves you, desires to heal you, and desires to incorporate you into his mission of loving and healing the world. We are called to be active in every aspect, of the world around us. Political, economic, social, religious, you name it. As human beings, we are made for those realities. But we're not made to be anything other than disciples of Jesus in those realities. To bring the love of God. To bring the healing that comes from God's mercy. To save the world through the one who made the world the hope that God has for us the reason he created us is so that we can know his healing and follow his commandments and bring that into every aspect of our lives mothers and fathers God created you God called you to your husband and your wife so that you can know God's mercy and so that you can bring it to each other and to your children Friends and family, you're called in the same capacity to know the mercy of God, to bring it in that. What career path do you have? Where do you work? God has called you to that. God has given you that job so that you can be healed through his mercy and bring it to that world. Who are the people in your life who are apart from you, who you have cast aside, who you wouldn't have anything to do with? He's not just calling you into those little areas that are comfortable for you. He's calling you to go to those areas as well. Why? Why? Because He loves you. And because you are made for that. When we stretch ourselves, when we put ourselves into that difficult position, like the Good Samaritan, when we instead of like the priest or the Levite say, I need to protect my purity, when we say, I'm going to be willing to engage, I'm going to be willing to go out, I'm going to be willing to get my hands and my heart a little dirty and a little exposed here. Then and only then, friends... Can we truly know what it means to, be, or to receive mercy and to be mercy? God loves us. God created us. And God is calling us to receive and to give the mercy that comes from the image of the Invisible Father, Jesus Christ our Lord.